Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Senator Scott Sandel, Karen Hale of the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission, and Natalie Gochner, director of the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute. Thank you for being with us this evening. This is a special edition of the Hinckley Report. We are talking all night about redistricting. The whole state of Utah is going through this. The rest of the country is as well. And the impacts are significant. The stakes are high, depending on these lines, particularly for some of these elected officials going into this. And uh, Senator Sandal, I want to start with you. Uh, you are the Senate chair of the, the House and Senate Redistricting Committee for the legislature. And I want to talk about sort of the approach you're taking as a legislator itself. Of course, redistricting is grounded in the Constitution itself with the idea that it's one person, one vote. This is the idea. This is why we count the people in each state. We do an enumeration of the citizens of, citizens of the state. And so talk about the approach the legislature is taking as you start looking at uh, that representation, making sure every vote in the state of Utah counts, every voter counts. Sure. Thanks, Jason. Uh, the legislature takes this role very seriously. Obviously, we're... Uh, by constitution in charge of redistricting. Our state constitution requires that. So we, uh, every 10 years, according to what the Census Bureau gives us, have to readjust according to where populations have shifted. The average growth of the state of Utah is about 18.2%. So if you're in an area where your population is growing faster than that, your geographical area must shrink and if you're in an area where it's growing slower than that, your ge geography in, in a line that someone will represent you has to get bigger. And uh, that comes down to the one person, one vote. And so when we got that census data that was actually delayed a long time, we would mm -hmm. normally take six months to do this process. We've had to condense that now down into about uh, eight weeks of work. And that uh, that's probably the premise is is this shifting population base that then has each person's vote become more equal again, and it's a reset every 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Hill, so you are working with the Independent Redistricting Commission, yes. uh, the group that was established after the state of Utah, citizens of Utah voted to create this Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, what is the dialogue you're having to a couple of these points Senator Sandel just mentioned, particularly kind of given this lens, it was Justice Earl Warren in a, a court case on one of these before that said it was this, is uh, legislators represent people, not trees. This was the idea, right? So it's not just about the geography, it's about the people themselves. What is the approach that the Independent Redistricting Commission is taking in that regard? Well, it's about fair representation. And uh, in 2018, the proposition passed, and I think what people were voting for and why that proposition passed is because people felt strongly that maps should serve the people, not politicians. So it's really not the politicians who should be drawing the maps, but it's the people um, giving in input into an independent commission so that they feel like there is really fair representation in the voting process. They feel like there's more accountability. Um, they feel like there's more transparency. So a commission uh, was formed uh, earlier this year, and as Senator Sandel said, it's a seven-person commission appointed by the governor and by Republican and Democratic uh, leadership 
in the House and Senate. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to a couple of those issues, but what drives us at its heart, Natalie, is population of the state of Utah. And you are the state's expert on population growth and planning for it. Uh, what demographic changes are you seeing in the state that are guiding this process itself? Because it really is about where the people are. Sure. Well, just a broad picture that I'll paint. Uh, we have the fastest growing state in the country. We grew by 18.4% from 2010 to 2020. And when I say that, we're used to our state being a rapidly growing state, but you know, Idaho grows fast, Nevada grows fast, uh, Arizona grows fast, the South grows fast. It's actually very difficult to be the fastest growing state, which we are. And then within the state, there's different places that grow faster, and I'll highlight three. Uh, first would be the ring counties. So the Greater Salt Lake area is the urban center, but all of these areas around the Greater Salt Lake, Morgan County, uh, Wasatch County, where Heber and Midway are, uh, Utah County, the southern part of Utah County, uh, Tooele, these are ring counties and they've experienced very rapid growth. And then I'll mention the uh, southwest area of our state where St. George is, um, very rapidly growing county. And I've already kind of said it because it's a ring county, but the most amazing growth happened in Wasatch County where Heber and Midway are. They almost grew by 50% in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we have a rapidly growing state, and then we have areas of the state growing more rapidly than others, and that's some of the adjustments that Senator Sandals mentioned. Mm -hmm. I want to get to a couple of these points, but maybe, Natalie, because you've been part of this political process for a long time and several efforts at redistricting, so you start looking at these population centers that are growing that you have just mentioned um, as well. And so when the legislature looks at this, it comes down to this idea uh, that's happened for at least for the last, the last two uh, cycles is how do you properly represent rural Utah with these heavily populated and growing areas, which is why Utah kind of has this pizza approach, mm -hmm. where you have pieces of Salt Lake County and some of these growing, um, uh, other fast-growing counties and cities. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm interested what the other two guests think on this point. Uh, you know, right now we have a bit of a pizza approach, right? We've kind of divided the state up into these urban-rural districts that emanate out from the urban center. You could also take a donut approach, right, where you kind of make a, a urban district that's very urban and doesn't have rural components to it, and then some very big districts that you know capture the ring from that. And I don't know, I think we should start from a position of uh, guiding principles. And uh, I know that uh, the common ones are keep communities of interest together, keep the district compact, uh, you want to make them contiguous. You don't want to have to drive through a narrow patch to get over to another big patch, right? You want to keep uh, these compact, uh, contiguous districts. Uh, Karen, you, yeah. you've let's, you've let's, agreed to principles yeah. as part yeah. of So talk process. about what those principles are, and then we'll see what Senator Sandel right. is doing from his side. Yeah, so the Independent Commission adopted several um, several criteria that guide us in our mapping process. And so Natalie mentioned a few of those. Contiguity, huge. We need all parts of one district to touch. Um, communities of interest is perhaps what we're really concentrating on the most, keeping communities of interest together, not splitting them up, not dispersing them, but really being aware. And so when we go out to our public hearings, actually, we want to gather that information. We want people to tell us what they believe their communities of interest are. Um, geographic boundaries, certainly having boundaries that separate districts make it easier for um, for voters to know where their district um, is. Um, cores of prior districts, municipalities and counties, we're hearing from mayors 
um, and from county commissioners that they would like their counties and their cities to be kept whole as much as possible. So that's been really a guiding principle for us as we've been mapping just to try to make sure that we can. And of course, it all goes back to numbers though too, because we do have you know that mandate, one person, one vote. And so we, we have um, some guiding deviation numbers too, that, you know, where we're only allowed to go out a certain percentage so that each district number can only vary by just a very short bit. The legislature, um, um, adopted criteria for numbers that is 0.1% for congressional districts and I believe 0.5 for state house and uh, state school board districts. So, um, so that means that the deviation is very, very small and, and that's good. You want people to feel like you know, each district has that fair representation. Mm -hmm. So we've adopted those criteria. Uh, Senator Sandel, fr from your side, uh, any of the commonalities and others? Yes, uh, we do have some commonalities actually because redistricting principles, one, begin with population. And we have to stay within some of those legal guidelines that the courts have allowed. Uh, we've gotten some additional direction in since the last redistricting cycle that allows our state, House, Senate, and school board districts to be within 5% plus or minus on the target. So 10% overall deviation. And uh, that's, that's kind of a new guideline. We uh, also uh, are looking at contiguous and compact. Uh, we also, it, from our side, uh, take the perspective that uh, people who have voted in the past, those voting blocks, become very important. I think it'd be interesting to note that right now in the Senate, our average tenure is 6.97 years, and in the House, the average uh, tenure is 5.82 years. So we have a group of people in each of those core areas that have voted for and replaced a, a legislator in that since our last redistricting cycle uh, at least once. Uh, the House seat that I served in was turned over three times. So I think it's important that people have chosen those representatives at least once in the last 10 years. And uh, it would be well to kind of consider the fact that that they have made that choice and to reshuffle the deck in a really big, broad way uh, might be disadvantage to those voters. So Senator Sandel, how, how do you approach that then? Because I think it is a really good and interesting point because uh, as mm -hmm. I remember, you know, uh, Senator Hale, when the Better Boundaries Initiative was going forward, I think their phrase was, uh, voters should choose their politicians, politicians should not choose uh, their voters. That was the idea, but what you just said is a, such an interesting point. I'm wondering how you will reconcile that together as you come up with these maps. You say, well, uh, we don't consider who the incumbents are. That's Senator Hale, you've talked about that a little bit. But in, in the end, what this relationship in this tug of war is just very interesting because as Senator Sandel just said, these people in these districts did vote for someone. So it's possible to draw a line which sets the elected official itself, which is different than uh, who the people voted for. Well, so I do think that's, oh, sorry, sorry, go oh, no, ahead. Go, go oh, ahead. Please, Senator Sandel. So uh, it, it is interesting. And so the uh, legislative committee and, and the courts actually have allowed that you can consider uh, some form of incumbency based on a district or an area where uh, people have traditionally voted in a, in a block for a person. And uh, we think that from a legislative perspective that it could be very valuable that we would uh, incorporate incumbency into some of our decisions making based on the fact that some continuity is probably very healthy in the legislature. Uh, based on the numbers I just gave you, 
if you were to draw maps blind from incumbency, and we have done that, you would typically pair 30 to 40% of those that are currently in uh, legislative seats against each other. Mm -hmm. So if you take that idea and combine it with the fact that we have a high turnover in, in our uh, basic uh, uh, legislature because we're part-time legislators and the workload's pretty high, it, it might be that you would lose some really institutional knowledge in a shuffling of the deck every 10 years in addition to that turnover that happens inside that 10 years. Uh, I, I think it could be uh, hurtful, and I, I think that's something that we need to talk about. Well, I, I have, um, I, I was in the legislature during one of the cycles uh, for redistricting, and I've seen the frenzy for incumbent protection there, and I think that is really one of the um, of the components of the genesis of the um, better boundaries. Um, um, journey uh, because people really don't want politicians to be selecting their own uh, districts. Like I say, um, voters want want the um, to be served, they want their maps to serve the people, not necessarily the politicians. And so, so I think that's what really drives um, the independent commission. And so we have not adopted any criteria that looks at the addresses of the current incumbents. Um, I believe, and I could be wrong, Senator Sandel, but I believe that you have adopted that criteria to look at the um, at incumbent addresses as you, as you do your mapping. Um, we feel yes. like as an independent commission and with the charges too that the legislature gave us after uh, Senate Bill 200, we believe that the other criteria that we have is really what drives us, these communities of interest, you know, the uh, geographic boundaries, um, other things that we've adopted that really, I think, help promote the idea of fair representation. Now, this is giving a pretty good picture of just how complicated yeah. this issue well, and is. Well, I think for viewers, I, I think, think, so viewers will be very familiar with the four congressional seats, you know, and our Congress uh, people in Washington. But what's behind the scenes and what we're talking about now is the House and Senate that are in our state legislature, right. where there's 104 of these, right? 75 House, uh, 29? Yeah, 29 Senate. And uh, that's where it gets really tricky. So the 2020 census gave us neighborhood level demographics, population counts. And that's really important because we're not doing county boundaries, city boundaries, we're going into neighborhoods and saying, you're represented by so-and-so, you know, you're represented by a different district, whatever. So, you know, this is, the, this, is the, this is the rub in redistricting. It's very difficult to draw lines in a way that meets everybody's criteria and everybody's interests. That's absolutely right. And it, oh, go ahead, Senator. Well, I was just gonna say, as Senator Sandel can tell you too, just, just keeping uh, within the, um, the numbers is a really difficult process while you're redistricting. I mean, to do all of these different districts, and when you get down to 75 house districts, it's, it's a tricky task, and it's very difficult. Yeah, so it is. Let's talk about that for just a second, too. And maybe give us a hint of where people can go, because we can submit maps, right? The public can sure. submit a map. Uh, I, I mentioned this because I want you to talk about this for a second, too, but I've done this exercise myself, uh, trying to do it. We've even had classes we've taught here at the University of Utah, say, try to draw a map. And what Natalie just said is just so true. It's, I mean, you can, you can do something that looks a little bit like what we have now that gets these congressional districts, mm -hmm. but that's maybe the easier part of this very Four difficult. You don't have to live in that district, right? But you well, do. The, the real thing, I mean, Karen mentioned it, but communities of interest. What, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What is a community of interest? Is, I live in Murray City. Are we a community of interest? Is that the principle there, you know, keep Murray City together? 
there's also yeah, an argument. Would, yeah, there's also an argument but, that if you divide Murray City, Murray splits between, between State Street in Salt Lake County. If you divide it, then Murray City gets two representatives. And so there's a whole debate about whether that community of interest is better served by one or by two. Exactly. Senator Sandal, please. And, and that's a great point is uh, what is a community of interest? Is it uh, the high school that your children attend or is it your city boundaries? Is it the church that you attend or is it uh, the fire district that you live in? There are so many different ways. The, the puzzle that we have has over 71,000 pieces of these individual, what we call census blocks. And you can divide that up any way you want. Now, the, the good news is, is that both, uh, both the commission and our committee have used the same contractor, uh, Esri, and on our websites, they have an incredibly user-friendly program that allows you to go in and draw a, and submit your own map for our consideration. And I would encourage anyone to go on to uh, our website, which would be redistricting.utah.gov, and uh, begin that process. So as people submit them, I'm just curious, just because you've highlighted just how difficult it is, and it is so much more than people realize. Have people submitted full maps to you? Oh, yes. So, so they get down to that district, and how do they look? What, what seems to be the um, general approach? There have been some really interesting maps that have come in, and there are certain individuals, and probably Senator Sandel has, has heard from them as well, that have done several maps. and. And oh, yeah. this is painstaking effort. You know, I mean, people have really committed a lot of time and ed energy to do this. So yes, we have received those maps. Those maps from the public are up on our uirc.utah.gov site as well. I think they're probably posted on yours as well, Senator Sandell. Um, but we have, um, we have these maps coming in from the public. We also have maps that the commissioners themselves have been creating. Mm -hmm. So we've created several maps. Um, everything is posted. And we've posted them not to say these are the maps that we'll be submitting to the committee, the legislative committee. We're saying these are maps that we've created with input that we've gleaned from traveling throughout the state at public hearings. We want you to tell us what you think of these maps. Poke holes at these, give us input so that we can make changes that reflect what you want. We want to go to the legislature uh, with the maps that we create. We're mandated to create three of each type of map to submit to the legislature. And we want to go with confidence that the maps that we're taking are maps that really reflect what we've heard from people throughout the state. We want to be able to reflect um, the wishes of uh, county commissioners, city mayors, um, from residents throughout the state that have said we want our community of interest, however they've defined it. Um, we want our maps to reflect what we've heard, and we want to be confident that when we take those um, to the legislature that, that, um, that we've done a, jo a good job in listening and creating those maps. Go ahead, Natalie. Well, Jason, I just want to make a point. Uh, at least this is my experience. I'm, I, I work with population numbers. I work with a lot of elected officials, and I, I'm tr sort of tracking following this process, but I really feel for the common Utahn who uh, is watching two separate processes occur at the same time. So we have our, and I won't even get the names right, but the redistricting commission that Karen represents, and then the, the legislative process that Senator Sandal represents. And they're going at the same time with different websites, um, at least have the same contractor, but they also have public hearings coming going on at the same time. Yeah. So this is just a, a bit confusing, and, and yeah. I, the, the, the key here is that, I mean, there may be a lot of reasons why it's confusing, but we're in a, pan, we're in a pandemic. And the pandemic, you know, made it so we couldn't stretch this out, 
right? The census data came far later, six months later than we would have expected. And so everything's happening in six to eight weeks and, and it's made it very difficult. Senator Sand, it looked like you had a comment. Yeah, so uh, I think it's interesting. A couple of points that I think listeners need to be aware of. And one is, is that the legislature is charged with creating four different maps, one for the state school board, one for the uh, state House of Representatives, one for the state Senate, and one for our congressional uh, districts. Uh, that uh, th Those will be done uh, hopefully in a special session before Thanksgiving. The other point is, is we do have, and because of Proposition 4 and a negotiated settlement that happened after that proposition happened with uh, the legislature and better boundaries, we, we do have this dual track that's going on. Those two tracks will meet on November 1st when the legislature will receive the report from the re independent commission uh, in a hearing a meeting that is scheduled just for them to report. Then the legislature will take what we have started to accumulate across the state in our travels with the maps that have been submitted to us, put those together with the independent commission's report and we will then digest that information and, and then uh, continue with our constitutional duty to create these maps. Our committee then will submit to the full legislature a recommendation and then the process will become uh, a, the, the full 104 people in the legislature uh, with the governor's signature finally being the uh, final piece. Uh, Senator uh, and, and Senator Hale too. So I'm, I'm curious about uh, how people can participate. We can submit maps, but Senator Sandel, you're, you're coming to us today from Vernal, where you're participating in one of these hearings. Talk about the hearings, what happens there, and what you're getting from them across the state. Yeah, the, the hearing process has been very educational, and we are in the middle of a three-day swing uh, through eastern part of, of the state, uh, Richfield, Moab, Price, Vernal, and Park City. Uh, those are five locations in three days. Uh, I'll tell you what, what's been extremely interesting is we've had a lot of interest in our state school board maps, and mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Uh, some people have uh, commented how they would like uh, their local LEAs to not be split in amongst uh, school boards. Mm -hmm. We've talked about those interests of how people align across especially rural Utah and, and ways that they would like those state school board maps. Uh, we've also had and, and we need to save a little time to talk about our congressional map. Uh, we've had some, there's kind of two uh, almost oppo opposing ideas that have come as we've gone across the state on how those congressional maps should lay out. And so uh, whenever you're ready to pivot to that discussion, uh, be happy to, to go there, Jason. Well, so I want to get to correct congressional maps, but maybe it's, it's worth a second to what he just mentioned, Senator Hill, because um, there's a long time uh, up until this pandemic, people didn't know who their school board members were. And there is a renewed interest now in seeing, I mean, yes. it's just interesting that even, even Senator Sandel is saying people are watching that yeah. one, so. Yeah, yeah, we're hearing the same thing, Senator Sandel. It's been, it's really been great to have the input, to have people attend these public hearings and voice their opinions. And we've had a lot of educators, we've had parents come who really want to see their state school board um, district uh, be inclusive of the local yeah. school boards and and so we're hearing a lot of that and it really has been encouraging to have the public attend these public hearings and and as as you probably you know have experienced too just um, people um, are very open about their opinions and one thing that I think has been really great about these public hearings is um, 
people have been so nice. These hearings have been <laughs> so civil yes. and so respectful. And I don't know if you're hearing the same thing, but yeah. you know, it's just been so nice. We're there to listen, and I think people appreciate that. And just traveling throughout the state, we were um, up in Roosevelt a few weeks ago, and um, and just hearing from different corners. We um, our our chair went and met with uh, some tribal leaders in Mexican Water right. last week, and. And just the input is really helpful. And one thing too, um, like you were saying too, uh, Senator Sandel, um, there have been two very opposing viewpoints regarding congressional districts. Okay, what are they? Let's hear them. Well, it's, you know, urban versus rural. Yeah, yes, okay. Yeah. Senator yes. Sandel? So, so it's very correct. So one, one uh, kind of side of this would be 75% of the population lives in four counties along the Wasatch Front. And, and thereby, we should have three congressional districts that are there in, the, in those four counties, and then we should have one grand district across the state that's everything else. Uh, the other camp is that we should divide each of those congressional districts so that they have a piece of urban and rural. And uh, you, you can see that one or the other uh, both have their points. The, the one point that maybe doesn't get expressed as often that, that we're hearing is because 66% of our state is federally owned and most of the resources that uh, urban Utah depends on comes from those resources, uh, our water, uh, power generation, uh, any mining interest, uh, and including the fact that we recreate out of urban Utah in rural Utah, that each of our congressional districts should have a footprint in rural Utah, uh, makes some sense. Uh, the, the other argument is that those people live in the Wasatch Front and that's their interest and that's where they should be. So we'll see where we land on that. But, uh, but I, from my, my personal perspective, I tend to believe that uh, a voice of four united congressional people who have some footprint in rural Utah is more powerful where the federal government owns 66% of where our resources come from across this state. Now, Natalie, last 30 seconds, let's talk about that rural. What's at stake for rural Utah in these maps? You know, rural Utah has a lot of challenges and um, their population, we have seven counties that actually lost population since 2010. And so we've got to figure out ways to lift rural Utah and uh, spread some of the, the growth from urban. It'll help both urban and rural if we do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for your comments tonight. We understand it better. Thank you for what you're doing on behalf of the state and for your insights. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.